What's up, folks? It's me. It's me. It is Mr. Sensational Gino V. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega coming to you with an incredibly special episode 60, 60 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots radio network for those of you unfamiliar with the show and i don't know how you would possibly be here were you not familiar with the show we are a show that sensationalizes the everyday that digs deep down into my existential guts as if it were a game of operation as if you were able to jab those what were they like tweezers into my into my innered inner being and pull out a plastic funny bone, pull out a plastic, what else did they have in that game? Wasn't there like an ankle bone or something? Hold it up to the light of day, investigate it for any little particles or filaments that might be of any conceivable narrative interest or coherence and weave them together into tales of nothing here on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. In other words, we are a show where I tell you tales of my quite unremarkable, um, how would you, else would you call it? Unremarkable, uh, middling, uh, not particularly interesting. I can't even come up with, with potent adjectives for what I'm trying to say here. Tales from my unremarkable life as a totally average, ordinary individual living here in the Northern California wine country in Napa, California, bringing you these takes, tales, and ruminations that you don't need and don't want and didn't ask for, but you're here anyway, side by side with the faithful tens of ones listening to the show. And again, this show comes to you by way of the good people at the IC Robots Radio Network. If you haven't already, go to your preferred podcast platform and look up IC Robots Radio, hit like, hit subscribe, hit add, hit whatever their gimmick is on that particular platform in order to that will uh, allow you to remain connected with the network. And by doing so, you will receive all future content coming down the pike. That includes this show. That includes our flagship world's famous IC Robot show, which is actually on hiatus in between seasons at the moment. It uh, includes one-offs from our boss, IC Robots, including like he just recently did a uh, This Boring Life episode about convenience stores. He's been putting out content uh, about the audio handbook of the Marvel Universe, um, as well as what else do we have on the network? We have Geek Fest Rants. All of these shows can be yours for the price of nothing, simply by kick- clicking, clicking, not kicking. Although I guess you could kick, you could kick the button on your device. Um, but you can also just click it or tap on it if you're using a touch screen. Um, that's the price to remain connected. You could also always go over to supportthereport.com. Support as in supporting people. The as in the. Report as in the report you wrote for school. Supportthereport.com. It's a hallmark from when our flagship show used to be the Toys R Us Report. Go to supportthereport.com and for little as little... As little as $1 a month, you be, can become... I'm on a roll here with the with the verbal gymnastics today. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron of the network. I myself am a patron of the network. 
Patreon of the network supporting what we do here and we'll give you access to periodic uh, patron only content. So, hey, dollar a month. Uh, what, do you, what have you got to lose, as a great man once asked. Now, moving right along, what do we have on the docket here for this very special episode 60? We are going to um, begin episode 60 by doing one of our periodic transformations into a food podcast. Yes, we will, for a portion of the programming today, be a food podcast. And after that, we're going to move on to the final, I believe, final, I hope, installment on um, the Phase 1 Masters of the Universe action figures from way back in, I believe it was 1981, I don't have it in front of me and I'm very bad at remembering these things. I'm not one of these these toy historians out there, I'm not one of these retro guys, I just happen to, I don't always talk about retro, but when I do, I talk about it here on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, but uh, going to continue winding our way through that list of first phase toys, talking about whether I owned them or not as a child or had access to them via friend's house or whatever, and any attendant stories and memories that may arise from said action figures and accessories and vehicles and playsets. Um, and that's after the food talk. But before all of that, a brief note, a quick note here today on Big Episode 60. I believe the show is going to be taking a hiatus for the next few weeks after episode 60, and I'll tell you why. For those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, you may know, you may remember, you may recall, you may realize that from the very beginning of this second coming of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega show, the very beginning of whichever episode it was, whenever it was, I don't know because it's all back in a haze because I think it started during like, God, was it right before, was it pre-pandemic or at the very beginning? In any case, it, the details are lost to me in, the, in that unreal time of no time and all time and times in between and betwixt and above and beyond, below and over and above, around, 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 oh, What's that basketball term? Like around and back or something like that? Over, around, and back? I don't know. Um, in any case, there, there was a time when I was doing this show many, many years ago. Then there was a several-year hiatus when I was working full-time to not have time to do this show. And then there was a time within the last year or another year and a half, something like that, that I began doing the show once more. And now we're here with you at episode 60 as part of that run. But that entire time that I've been back, from the several year break, that entire time, I've been coming to you from sort of a state of flux here in my personal life, uh, a temporary state of being. I've been coming to you from our moving from living in the same home, sensational manner for 10 years in the same city, a very familiar place, our, ch- our children going to the same school, um, Ms. One, Miss One, our uh, 16-year-old literally going to the same school from kindergarten through eighth grade. We, we left all that behind to move here to Napa, California, and have been living in very temporary conditions in the two over two years, maybe like going on two and a half years uh, since we've moved here, because we moved into a temporary rental house from which we were going to plot out our next move when we first moved here, but less than a year into our time here and our year lease, the pandemic began, everything went into chaos, and now there's all this time has passed since, uh, all chaos, flux, change, transformation, all from this temporary perch. But this temporary perch is finally, it's finally time to leave this perch behind, to um, leave this nest. At the height of the pre-vaccine era of the pandemic, when we were all home, there was a period of time where there were these birds nesting outside of our kitchen window here, this temporary rental, and the birds became a... uh, 
familiar sight, a familiar topic of conversation, and then one day the birds were gone because they had left that nest. They had left that temporary abode for parts unknown. Much like those birds left this home, we too shall be leaving this rental home. Though not to parts unknown, we will be leaving to our new home that we have purchased. Sensational Manor, what did I say it was? I guess it's Sensational Manor 2.5. Because I would consider the first um, condominium we owned in Oakland, California, Sensational Manor, 0.5. Uh, the one, the home in Santa Rosa, 1.5. And the town home now in Napa, California, 2.5. We're moving, and this has been this long, convoluted process because we went to go look at these townhomes last January. We decided on site that we were going to purchase one. We signed all the requisite paperwork. We made all the requisite down payments and deposits and all that. Um, but this was new construction. And it was new construction that I think was originally supposed to be done in July, but as uh, reality has it, is now done here in November. But it's done. It is done. We're actually going to look at this thing tomorrow for our final um, walkthrough inspection, where we note anything that needs to be repaired, anything that needs to be changed before we move in. Um, and then on the seventeenth of this month, we take possession of this place. Um, so anyway. Long story short, the reason I'm boring you with these personal details, although I guess that's all I do on this show is bore you with personal details. Um, we have been kind of waiting in limbo for this move to happen for months, and now it's actually happening, and now it's all happening fast and furious, and we're going to be really busy with uh, getting this place packed up, getting this place cleaned up, moving into the other place, coordinating stuff that's going on over there. There's some painting happening, this, that, the third. Um, I just don't foresee a lot of time and even uh, infrastructure to be able to podcast in the next couple of weeks because we are going to kind of be in between two places and not really in either, just kind of uh, living that um, moving life for a few weeks until the move is complete. So let me look at the calendar here, the sensational calendar. I'm coming to you with episode 60 here today on Tuesday, the 9th of November. Next Tuesday is the 16th, and so we'll be in the midst of moving and taking possession the day after that. Next uh, is the 23rd, that Thanksgiving week. Next is the 30th, and we'll, that's a, literally when we're moving in. So yes, the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast will return with very special episode 61 on December 7th. So much like with the end of the summer and the start of the new school year and all that, I had to take a three-week hiatus. That's what we're going to be doing again. So if I was really on the ball, I guess I would turn this into like seasons or something, but I didn't think about that ahead of time. And God only knows what season we'd be on and which one we're going into. So we're just going to call it a hiatus. But folks, this is not one of those hiatuses where we disappear into the ether, never to be seen again. This is a a neat, tidy three-week hiatus. And then we'll be back, just like we'll be back in one moment here on the show to talk to you about food on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. You dump a bag of flour in some water. You mix it and you fix it with maybe an egg for a treat. You squeeze it out or roll it out and slice it up or fold it. When you finish, what do you got? Lots of things to eat. Like spaghetti or a getti, pantaletti and linguine. Some capelli or an elli, vermicelli, farfalline. And we are back on very special episode 60 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. 
that was a tune that I found that was, I believe, from maybe 1993 uh, from a Sesame Street segment. And 1993 Sesame Street was well past my day of Sesame Street. I was like a 70s, early 80s Sesame Street viewer. And I think I've talked about on the show before how disappointed I am um, uh, in what Sesame Street became a uh, couple times, I, my kids never really got into it, and a few times I tried to watch it with them, and it's just like, you know, when I watched it back in the day, Sesame Street dealt with very deep existential topics, like death and dying. I remember the day that, uh, that Mr. Hooper died on, on Sesame Street, and they dealt with that on the show. Um, you know, um, Kelly Monster was like a, a, a parable of drug addiction. Um you had to deal with like neighborhood conflicts, uh, interpersonal relationships, how to get along with different kinds of people, how to understand different kinds of people. It's a very deep show when I was a child, and by the time my kids were children, it had devolved into basically forty-five minutes of. So I mean, I guess I guess that's the world that we live in now, um, though. <laughs> And it really is the world we live in now because it all comes full circle. I just saw the other day, who, who's this dork? Um, some total geek. Um, oh, that the um, that little old lady from Texas, Ted Cruz, um, was all in a twist because um, the, uh, uh, the quote-unquote Big Bird Twitter account that tweets as if it's Big Bird tweeted that it got a COVID vaccine and this dork was like losing his mind about it, that it was government propaganda. And it's like, look, geek, you're also tweeting from your uh, government Twitter account, which in and of itself is government propaganda. And it's not beyond the pale that a public television network, television show would be doing public health messaging. That, that, that's just so flooring and jarring to me about the, the, the mutant situation, the... <laughs> that we live in now is just this, this idea that things that are totally normal and have been around for generations, for decades, for centuries, are now somehow uh, bizarre and scandalous and controversial. In any case, um, getting away from controversy, we are, in fact, at times, a food podcast. And because I didn't have a whole lot else going on in my uh, incredibly mundane, average, uninteresting life of late, um, I wanted to give a food shout because one very exciting thing that happened recently was I, I tried a new dish, um, a new dish that uh, Ms. S., my wife, and I had gotten kind of bored with what we've been eating lately. So we've been throwing together ideas for stuff we wanted to try, and this was on the idea list, and she actually made it um, the other night. And it's a very simple dish, but very exquisite dish. And I will tell you what it is. I'm going to get it up on my screen here really quick. Just give me give me one moment here to um, type into the uh, Google machine. Um, a dish known as mushroom wafu pasta. And the ref- recipe came to us. Oh, I got to log in here. Hang on. Oh, gosh. The recipe came uh, to us by way of the failing New York Times, uh, of which we have a subscription to their uh, food. I don't know if it's an app or a section. They have like a cooking section that has all these recipes. Um, uh, 
you know, just different government propaganda recipes. Um, and uh, we've been delving into some of them because they're, they're usually very like, for instance, this one, this one was a 25 minuter, but uh, quality food um, with a uh, short preparation time for the most part. I'm sure you can find fancy long recipes in here, but our whole point is we've been trying to find stuff that's easy to make on the weeknight when we are busy with other stuff and don't want to be spending hours in the kitchen cooking, but still want to eat something. So anyway, wa- mushroom wafu pasta coming to you by way of the failing New York Times cooking section. Um, as it says here in the recipe, wafu directly translates to Japanese style. As it relates to pasta, you can expect uniquely Japanese flavors and twists like mentaiko pasta, which is made with spicy cod roe. Mm, that sounds good. Or the napolitan, which is made with mushrooms, green peppers, and bacon sausage, or even hot dogs in a tangy ketchup-based sauce. I've been wanting to try that for a long time because that is a dish that you can perpetually purchase at this one cafe in the Yakuza video game franchise of which I'm a huge aficionado. So I, as a Yakuza character in game have eaten uh Napolitan pasta untold times over the years, but I've never had it in my real life as Mr. Sensational Gino Vega need to rectify that. And I'm sure I can probably find a recipe for it. Now that we've delved into the world of Wafu pasta, maybe Napolitan is next. Which is very interesting to me that it uses such bizarre stuff as um, hot dogs and ketchup alongside I, I mean, I guess it's not weird to have mushrooms and ketchup alongside bacon and sausage, but I guess translating it into a pasta dish is different for me. So, um, although, you know, I, I think when I was little, we, we, we'd hit some boyardee, maybe that had some like hot dogs in it or whatever from time to time, particularly when hanging with the neighbors across the street who will factor into stories in the future here on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, but I'm getting way off track folks. So this particular dish, um, it uses uh, uh, one pound dry spaghetti, one fourth cup extra virgin olive oil, eight tablespoons of unsalted butter, four to six gar- garlic cloves minced, one pound shiitake mushrooms, or a combination of shiitake, shimeji, or and maitake, stems trimmed if dry, separated and torn by hand, a fourth cup of soy sauce, two to three scallions finely sliced for garnish, shredded roasted nori, which is seaweed, uh, like shredded kizami nori, or half of a nori sheet, kind of thin matchsticks with scissors for garnish. Now, I'm not going to bore you with step-by-step. You can look it up if you would like to yourself. But this created this amazing dish that tasted much like I imagined it would. It became the marriage of all that is best in sort of European-style, Italian-style pasta noodles with everything that is so good about Asian style noodles and Japanese umami flavors. It is the marriage of both butter and soy sauce. It is the addition of the earthy, rich taste of the mushrooms that have, that have, that have uh, uh, just oozed their way, emulsified into this soy butter sauce. It is the 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 the, the chewiness in the, the 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 strands of the spaghetti, all sitting there looking amazing in the bowl, all feeling amazing on in the mouth feel, all tasting amazing. This dish, very simple, very basic, yet a revelation. I recommend you, much like reading Rainbow, don't take my word for it. Go out there. And try your own hand at Wafu Pasta. I'm sure you can either find this recipe or others much like it online. But this 
Japanese twist, this Asian spin on quote-unquote Western-style um, spaghetti was, again, just just the, 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 the absolute meeting of the minds. It was the, uh, you know, the best thing I can uh, compare it to, it's essentially the good, the bad, and the ugly because it's you're taking... Uh, much like in the good, the bad, the ugly, much like in all the other, the, the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns, he often took tropes, storylines, etc. from um, Akira Kurosawa's samurai films, but put a Italian flair on it, while also an Italian flair that's an Italian interpretation of the American West, melding all those great things together into the amazing thing that is the spaghetti western, much in the same way Wafu pasta mixes and matches all of these great things. Which leads me to my final point on this dish, and my final point on this style of melding. One of the sadder things, um, you know, I, I make fun of mutants on and off on the show, and I often make fun of right-wing leaning mutants because, quite frankly, I find them to be just really the most irredeemable, the stupidest. Not as we we're gonna, as we we're about to to get into. Not that there's not. Poor things, irredeemable things from all spectrums, from all walks. I just find right-wingism has become, is and has become even more so, such a death cult. So obsessed with everything anti-life, anti-human, anti-emotion, anti-intellect, anti-psychology, anti-science. It's just like this mush-up, mash-up of of hatred and death. And and just wanting death, obsession with death. Um they're the easiest. They're, that's like shooting fish in the barrel. They're the stupidest people going with the, the dumbest ideology that, that are basically nihilistic anti-everythings. That said, one of the sadder things to come out of um, what's more familiar to the area that I'm in, the more kind of so-called uh, left-leaning um, worldview, which I, I, I even find that to be a misnomer sometimes, but that's neither here nor there at, at the moment. There is a trend in the part of Northern California that I'm in, not necessarily so much in Napa, but when I lived in Sonoma County, this was a big buzz thing. This idea that one is to be up in arms about the idea of quote unquote cultural appropriation. Now, the idea behind this term seems to be that um, one should not literally appropriate the culture of another person. If you're in culture A and you see people in culture B producing a certain type of cultural artifact, be it a food, a certain type of dance, a certain type of clothing, that you yourself should not then um, take on those cultural artifacts, take on those cultural trappings as part of your own being. That's appropriation. That does not belong to you. That does not belong to you in culture A. That belongs to them in culture B. And never the twain shall meet. Now, I think that this comes out of, in some ways, some ways, a well-intentioned uh, background like everything does. Um, you know, even 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 the right-wing death cult comes out, out of well-intentioned uh, beginnings. So I think where the good intentions are is there is this uncomfortable tendency in a pluralistic country such as ours, where many different kinds of people are all living together, there's an uncomfortable tendency sometimes when one group of people wants to do commentary on another um, without 
the participation of that other group, if that makes any sense. I think the best example I can come up with is um, when my younger brother was in kindergarten. Um, his uh, kindergarten class that was not taught by a person with any kind of uh, uh, Mexican heritage, Mexican-American background, um, and a class that was full of students that primarily, for the most part, did not have this background. And if any of them did have that background, they were not called upon to, to participate in this activity in any kind of guiding way. They had an assignment where they had to make um, what was considered Mexican garb, a, a, a serape and a sombrero, out of um, – uh, paper bags. And then they were taught a song. My my brother came home wearing his paper bag, so-called serape, so-called sombrero. And he taught us the song that he learned. And it was, I have a big sombrero to wear upon my head. Ole. And he's like, I learned about Mexicans today. So that's a little bit uncomfortable because it's just like, it's not, you're not really teaching people anything about this group of people and you're, you're not in the group. So I get how that's a little strange. I do get how that's a little strange. And I do know that there's lots of people uh, that for whatever reason are obsessed with wanting to do this. I do, I do find it a little bit odd, a little off-putting. That said, um, extremists of all stripes are also mutants. And mutants are not capable of nuance. Mutants are not capable of subtlety. Mutants are not capable of thought, really, of any kind. So you get a well-intentioned mutant who sees some of this strange stuff going on and decides, comes up with this term cultural appropriation, clings to this term, but then takes it to bizarre extremes. And these extremes become a part where they're attempting to enforce this uh, these social views wherein one cannot um, even participate in artifacts outside of their own culture. And one can certainly not be influenced or inspired by these artifacts and ha- allow them to inform their own existence. But to me, that seems to be the whole point of our life here in this country, particularly where I live in a state like California, where there's all kinds of people from all kinds of places. I grew up you know, in my, with my own situation of being, being having Chinese American heritage, having Midwestern waspy heritage, neither of those have anything to do with Spanish speaking countries, Spanish speaking cultures. I've probably heard Spanish spoken almost every day of my life just by virtue of living in California. No, I don't mean that in some xenophobic way of like, oh my God, they're speaking Spanish. I mean, I take that as part of my life. I take that as part of my identity. I take that as part of my heritage of living here in California. I accept that I have been influenced over the course of my life by various, uh, but primarily Mexican-American uh, heritage because mostly the, the people that I know that are Spanish speakers self-identify Mexican. But th- that is part of what I understand the world to be like. It's part of my worldview. So when I participate in certain Mexican-American cultural artifacts when I eat that food, when um, I prepare the food myself. I don't think I'm doing something egregious. I don't think I'm um, doing some great disrespect to other people. And if I take these things and meld them with all the other amazing things I've been exposed to and find wondrous results, that's all the better. But I I find it very off-putting that there are those out there, there are mutants among us that are actively against this kind of cross-pollination. And interestingly, not actively against it, there's, of course, 
the right-wing mutants that are against any kind of cross-pollination because we're supposed to stay in some sort of uh, uh, racial purities within our so-called racial groups. This is almost like a left-wing version of the same thing. It's very odd, very bizarre. Thankfully, we have Wafu Pasta as an antidote and all, all the many other great cultural mashups that parts of the world, regions that are not afraid to be influenced and again, by influence, I don't mean that you usurp another person's culture. I don't mean that you take away their opportunity to be themselves, but you allow yourself to be informed by them and, and you know, be intellectually honest about the fact that, that you're being influenced, that you're being inspired by others. You didn't come up with this. You're not taking it on as, as, as your own without giving them credit or without letting them have their voice be heard. But these things, just people live together and things come together and new things form. And on that note... I look at the clock and I realize we are already at 29 minutes into this very special episode 60 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. I veered that far off track. <clears throat> Excuse me. Originally intended to have Wafu pasta take up maybe. I, I was hoping it could consume maybe five minutes of time and then I would have to think of something else to, to maybe fill in another five or ten minutes of time and then I could do He-Man talk. But, but we're so off the rails We've gone so deep into the abyss of God knows what, for God knows what reason, talking about absolutely nothing, talking about Wafu pasta and my brother's kindergarten class and whether you should be influenced by cultural artifacts. What are, what are we doing here, people? What did I get? This can only, this can only mean that you are here with your fellow tens of ones witnessing yet another, another very special episode of the podcast, but it has been so special that I fear we are going to have to punt He-Man talk. We're going to have to punt that long-awaited finishing of phase one of the Masters of the Universe toys to not next week, not the week after that, not the week after that, but the week after that, after our three-week hiatus concludes and we return with even more special episode 61. But since we are going dark for three weeks, I'm not going to call it just yet. I'm going to do a little bonus food talk here to close out the episode. I'm going to tell you a little more cultural appropriation that I participated in over the last weekend. Um, we, as a family, the sensational family, um... I've gone through different seasons in our life together when it comes to frequency of eating meals outside of the home, eating from restaurants. I'd say, to be fair, we've gone through seasons of, uh, of frequency of eating out, frequency of cooking adventurous things of home at home, and frequency of just um, subsisting off of completely basic weeknight dinners. There's been times when when each of those three modes of consuming foodstuffs has been the primary mode. Um, sometimes it's a, it's a mix, it's a balance of, of all three, but there have been discrete seasons in our life together where one of those three modes has been the far dominant mode. When both Ms. S, my wife, and I were working full-time, we ate out constantly, not because we even wanted to. It was simply for a lack of any extra time to prepare meals, and it was part of the horror Part of the abject horror we experienced in our family, just with the way our family dynamic is, with the way our setup is, with the way our goals and wants and needs and dreams happen to be, having two adults working more than full time 
just it, it cratered our quality of life. Um, rocketed up our, uh, 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 what do you call it, disposable income at the time. But see, then that was the thing. We were like, basically, the, the extra money that I was bringing in, we're blowing like 75% of it on restaurant meals. So it's just like, uh, or I could just not waste all this time and we could eat out less. I mean, I know what's the saying on the, the restaurant supply thing? Enjoy life, eat out more. But I would, I would argue that at times it's enjoy life, eat out less. But in any case, um, we've been way on the other end of the spectrum lately. Um, we realized over the over the weekend that we had not been out, all four of us, to eat somewhere outside of the home in as long as we could remember, in months. I think maybe the last time was the uh, many months ago when we were in Disneyland. It was the last time all four of us ate out at a restaurant together. So <clears throat> we've been busy with a lot of moving stuff, a lot of drudgery, um, it was uh, one of the days last weekend. We, as a family, had gotten uh, very, very controversial flu shots. We, we got these very uh, went out on a limb and got these wild and crazy things known as flu shots. Um, very experimental, um, very um, unpredictable, unknowable, and part of some sort of radical agenda. But we got them nonetheless um, because Big Bird told us to. Um, and, you know, we, when, when, when Comrade Big Bird speaks, you know, when Chairman Big Bird speaks, it's hard, hard to say no. So we got our controversial radical flu shots, and then we decided to um, drive out about an hour to a town called Pleasanton, which I don't even know which county that's in. It might be in Contra Costa County, but I could have that wrong. It's somewhere in the east, the, the further reaches of the East Bay Area. So it's Bay Area enough that it's on the what's called the BART line, the Bay Area Rapid Transit line. So it's it's accessible to like San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, all the the true heart of the Bay Area. You can the the public transit system covers Pleasanton, but Pleasanton is like a far suburb uh, of the greater Bay Area. Um, but anyway, in Pleasanton, there is a restaurant called Kura Revolving Sushi, and it is part of a chain of restaurants that we have become quite enamored with. The first time we went to one was in downtown Los Angeles in uh, their area that they call Little Tokyo. It's like a little Japantown area um, in downtown Los Angeles. They have this restaurant, Kuro Revolving Sushi uh, Bar. That was the, the location, the first location we went to was the one there. They have locations everywhere, though. I mean, I don't, not literally everywhere, but all over here in the Bay Area, Southern California, so on and so forth. So we go to the one in downtown LA when we're visiting Los Angeles. We go to one in Anaheim when we're visiting Disneyland. We now realize that the nearest one to us is about an hour away in Pleasanton. So occasionally we will roll over there for the novelty of it. Now, Kura, this restaurant, you, you pack into these little booths and uh, you use it. Yeah, you, you got to use an app to check in to get a spot ahead of time or else you're going to be sitting out there waiting for like two hours. Uh, but you can check in on their app and see how long it's going to take to get a table. And you sign up and then they call your number and you go in, you squeeze into this little booth. And um, it's one of these gimmicks where they got the rotating, you know, the assembly line of like little plates of sushi are coming by and you grab off the ones you want. And then when you're done, you throw the plate in the slot and it counts how many plates you've uh, you've consumed. And that's how you are charged. It's per plate. All the plates are the same price. So like everything is the same price, which is kind of wild. So everything from like some really intricate roll down to like the, the humblest like Tamago egg sushi thing, all the same price. Um your plates are tallied up um, as you complete plates. Um, say you hit twenty plates. This like there's a little TV in your booth and a cartoon 
starts playing and this little anime character is like killing monsters and you're helping him by sending him plates because then he's throwing the plates at the monsters. And if you do enough, you get a little capsule toy that comes uh, trundling down this little uh, chute um, to your table. Um, in addition to the stuff that's going by conveyor belts on that TV, the little touchscreen, you can order individual items, either order sushi items that you're not seeing on the coming by on the belt that you want, and then they'll send it directly to you, or other items that aren't part of the conveyor belt, like uh, Engineer Nerd's much-loved uh, takoyaki. This is this is the, the Osaka Soul Food Treat, which are these, these round little dough balls with um, chopped up uh, squid inside. Um, covered with uh, some sort of sauce and some mayonnaise, a, a delectable Japanese treat. You can get the takoyaki from the from the touchscreen menu, and it comes when it's ready. It comes just shooting down towards your table on this uh, conveyor belt that's above the main sushi belt that stops right at your 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 uh, booth, and then you take it down. Um, excellent, tons of fun, reasonable price. It's not like the the highest grade. High, highest quality sushi you'll ever have in your life, obviously, because it's conveyor belt sushi. But for conveyor belt sushi, it is quite good. I've seen famous chefs coming out of the uh, downtown LA uh, location as we were going in. Food Network personalities! So if that means anything to you, they're vouching for it. Um, we went down there. We enjoyed it. That particular one in Pleasanton is located in this amazing shopping mall out in the middle of a nowhere suburban wasteland, this, this mall called Pacific Pearl. And it's essentially nothing but Asian eateries. There's a hot pot place. There's, uh, various barbecue places. Um, there's the aforementioned, uh, uh, Kura revolving sushi. Um, there's all kinds of places. Ms. S and I have often talked about trying to find, there's got to be some motel somewhere around there. Just getting some travel lodge room or something for a weekend or a long weekend, a holiday week, whatever, and just working our way through all the various eateries there. Because there's too much there to eat in just one day, but there's so much there that you want to explore. So you're just like posting up there and having just a week long culinary adventure there is something that is on the radar may happen at some point we capped off that trip with a stop at one of these what do they call it? it's like somi somi or something like that someone who's more hip to to terminology will know what it is but it's these japanese soft serve ice cream gimmicks i've been to one in downtown los angeles again next to the kura there they've got one in this um uh shopping center i don't know if it's a proprietary brand or if it's just a style but it's this soft serve ice cream you can get different flavors. You can get swirled flavors. I prefer to get um, uzu flavor, which is like this Japanese citrus flavor. And um, gosh, I can't remember the other. It's this purple gimmick that's like some kind of yam, sweet yam flavor. Get those swirled. Get some fruity pebbles on top. It comes with a little macaroon cookie. Just an excellent soft serve. Well, I don't get a cone because I, I don't need the cone, but just a cup. Excellent soft serve cup. Cap that all off with a stop at Daiso, which is basically like a Japanese slash Korean dollar store where we uh, stocked up on some kitchenware, some little drain protectors for the kitchen. You can get them there for real cheap. And just a bunch of Japanese crunchy snacks and then jetted back home to Napa, California. And that, folks, was Food Talk for this extra special episode 60. Took it a little longer than I probably should have, but hey, we're not going to speak for three weeks. So, uh... I wanted to leave you something to remember and buy just in case disaster strikes and I don't ever come back again. But I don't I don't foresee that happening. I'm not planning on that. But you never know. Oh, what the, the good old JR always likes to say our tomorrow's not guaranteed. Um, and no, they are not JR. They know they are not. He's had quite a few tomorrows. Um, I hope to have that many tomorrows. 
we shall hope, we shall pray, we shall think and pray and think again because we're not mutants. So maybe we won't pray, but we will think. Not that there's anything wrong with prayer. Believe it or not, I actually take world's religions very seriously. Uh, it's more, more the trite version of prayer that I take issue with. The prayer to make money or the prayer to find your missing iPhone. That's the, that's a little come see, come saw, as, as the French might say. But in any case, it's me. It's me. It's Mr. Sensational Gino V. Bidding you adieu for the next three weeks. Thanking you for coming here to very special episode 60. And until we return in three weeks' time, I'm going to say... I am signing.